On this episode of Behind the Headlines, the very easy to digest in less than 30 minutes, economy. We're talking about the economy. Lindsay Moore and Rose White join us. Let's jump into it. You know, today, just the small topic of the economy. Today, we are joined by Lindsay Moore and Rose White and my co-host, as always, the one, the only, fired up and ready for fall, your pumpkin spice latte, John Heiner. How are you, my friend? You stole my line, Eric. I was going to ask if that was pumpkin spice or Gatorade you had over there. Yeah, it the always it, Yes, it always is. I'm going to pretend that here in my uh, Starbucks Michigan cup that I've got some pumpkin spice going. First podcast of the fall. Um, I love the season, and uh, but we're not talking about fall in Michigan. That'll be another podcast. Um, uh, Eric, how, how's the economy treating you these days? I mean, sure, fine. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> you know, we love uh, big sprawling stories here at M Live, and for two years, uh, the last two years until we got tired of it, the big story was COVID. Um, I'm not sure who got tired of it first, us or the rest of America, but. Um, it was uh, soon to replace by another monster of a story, which of course is is the economy. And some of parts of it are probably related to the economy and some of the policies, the government policies and so forth that happened. Uh, maybe just the, the backlash, the pendulum swung the other way uh, after the, the messiness of COVID era, but uh, it is pervasive. Uh, it touches on all aspects of life. So of course, MLive follows uh, a big stories. And we also, on for behalf of our readers, want to answer questions that they have about what's going on around them. So our state team, which, uh, you know, a year ago was focused heavily on COVID is, is now focusing heavily on pocketbook issues, um, all kinds of facets of the of economic stories. And here today to join us from our statewide team, our reporters, Lindsay Moore. Welcome back, Lindsay. Hi, glad to be back. And Rose White. Rose White, this could be your first visit on Behind the Headlines. Uh, I had one last year uh, talking about local eats. Oh, that's right. Highlighting local restaurants, yeah. (laughs) We're over 100 episodes now, so uh, I got to have a little better cataloging system. But uh, oh, that's all right. I feel I feel like that's on me. I'll I'll do better cataloging your guests that are coming up. (laughs) This is my first time as a statewide appearance, so there you can put that asterisk there. Can, can you do some some annotating for me as we go? Yes, uh, I will. Eric. Yes, I will. I'll be your your audio Wikipedia. Continue, <laughs> Rose. We've had you on. Uh, excuse me, Lindsay. We've had you on to talk about uh, economic issues before, like the housing market and, and things of that nature. Uh, how? Where do you even start? This is such a, a sprawling uh, set of topics. But uh, when you wake up in the morning. <laughs> Where do you start to start to tell the story of the effects of, of the economy on Michigan residents? That's funny that you phrase it like that, because I think Rose and I look at each other every week and we go, what, what part of the economy do we want to tackle today? It's it's fun to have a huge, broad beat. It can be overwhelming, if we're honest. But um, yeah, I mean, we go back to what are people talking about at the kitchen table? They're talking about can I sell my house still? Can I buy a house? What are my interest rates like? What's my credit card bill like? Why is my grocery bill so high? Why can't I afford to do anything fun anymore? Um, You know, we kind of just ask ourselves how we're feeling about the economy every week. And then we go from there. And we really do love when readers actually engage and ask us questions because it makes the job a little bit easier. So when I look at the stories that you cover, they range from everything like economic policy and Fed rates and all of this stuff, uh, right on down rows 
to the price of bacon, right? <laughs> so do you guys like the division of labor on this stuff or are, are you more, uh, Lindsay, doing the higher level big pieces and, and Rose, you're doing the consumer pieces or how do you split that up? It, it's a it's a fair share of both. We both, I uh, we kind of tackle different parts of it. Like I have tackled housing for a little bit longer and labor. Rose has gotten really into our CPI inflation numbers, hence the bacon, the chocolate chips, all of the like stuff that really feels like what's on your receipt at the grocery store. Um, we've found though, I think to your point about COVID fatigue, COVID news fatigue, um, that people don't always love our high level takes on what's happening they really want to know kind of the the kitchen table discussion of it and so we try to take something really high level like what is the fed doing with interest rates and then bring it down and say well what does that mean for my 401k um and that's kind of the beauty of the job and the challenge of this job rose uh, she, she mentioned, mentioned chocolate, chocolate chips why don't you tell our listeners if they haven't seen the story how you made some aspects of of like this higher level, big picture economic struggles relatable to people in day-to-day -day way. Yeah, um, I think inflation and the economy are sort of these big nebulous topics that are hard to wrap your head around. Um, but one element of inflation that I think people are really feeling the pain of is their grocery bill. And that's really kind of how you can see the impact of all of these major, broad, vague topics on your everyday spending. Um, so I figured that would be a good way to kind of explain a lot of the elements that have gone into price increases over the past year, year and a half by just looking at how it might impact an everyday recipe, which would be chocolate chips. And so by going through all of those items, it really touches on some of the geopolitical influences, the war in Ukraine, um, India capping its sugar exports, um, and then also just sort of the general supply chain issues that have gone into price increases, plus some of these X factors that can also influence the economy like the avian flu, which caused egg prices to skyrocket. So I think that really made it, it broke it down um, into how price increases are not really driven by one factor, um, but especially what we see at the grocery stores, it's really um, it dependent on a lot of things and different items can just face different price increases for different reasons, in addition to sort of the broad inflationary pressures that we're feeling um, on most items these days. What made you guys probably happy that you studied economics and uh, geopolitical uh, policy in college, right? Uh, totally, yep. Yeah. <laughs> the 101 classes. Well, I think you hit on something if you come at it, the big topic, the, the global economics, it may turn people off, but you write about chocolate chip cookie recipe or the price of bacon, I think people can understand that. Um, and it kind, of, it kind of confirms what they're seeing when they get back from Costco or the gas pump and uh, they, their budget isn't what it was before. Also though, Lindsay, I mean, going and looking at your guys' work over the last many months, is you do still talk about things like the interest rates, you talk about supply chain issues, you talk about employment, um, bridge card money, the loan, student loan uh, forgiveness issues. So where do you find that balance from MLive's perspective? How do you stay in tune with what you think the readers want to know? And how do you balance that stuff? 
I mean, it's funny that you mentioned college because I have this going like Twitter thread that I tell people, let's let's all get in on it together as Econ 101 class. And that's totally how I approach my interviews too. I mean, we're, we're lucky enough that Michigan really does have some great economists that are very patient with us to break it down. Um, you know, I'll, I'm humble enough to tell you that I wasn't really sure how to explain what the Federal Reserve does up until a couple of years ago or how that affects my everyday life. And um, so for me, I kind of just totally approach it as a student and say, what are the questions I have? Why do I see that, you know, mortgage rates are going up. Why, why is what the Fed's doing that immediately going to affect, you know, if I don't pay my credit card statement on time, how much more that's going to cost me. Um, and so I, I do feel like there's, you know, we're put it beautifully saying it's nebulous, it's scary, it's intimidating to talk about the economy. And so we really have to break it down into bite-sized pieces of, what that means for each individual person. And so striking the balance for me has been taking it super 101. Let me explain to you what an interest rate is before I even tell you how it's changed. Um, and so far, I think our readers have appreciated that. You know, we're, we're not trying to talk above their heads. You know, we're trying to talk with them. I think you're doing an excellent job of that. One thing that I've been, I've mentioned this almost every show, how old I am and how long I've been in journalism, but one thing I've never seen anybody satisfactorily do it's explaining why gas prices go up or down. I've tried, <laughs> many people have tried. And I noticed we just had a post uh, maybe yesterday on how they're heading back over $4. And and it's funny because every time gas prices go up or down, uh, the, the opponent political party makes a thing out of it. Like, you know, under Trump, it was two bucks a gallon or whatever. But number, if, if one of you could just say one of the one or two elements of gas prices. And I, I know it's a commodity, so there's speculation on futures, like what it's going to cost in the future, but what's the main thing there? Um, I think uh, as same with food prices, there isn't a main thing, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, I think that's kind of why our job is so explanatory because there's all of these factors that go into it. Um, so I think, you know, what we saw in the spring, a lot of that was driven by the war in Ukraine and just sort of cutting Russia out of the global economy with a lot of its sanctions. So that was a big driver there in addition to pent up supply and demand. So a lot of gas experts were expecting gas prices to go up just because of there's such a drop in demand during the pandemic. And now that has come roaring back with people wanting to go on road trips. So we were expecting that in the summer and then the war in Ukraine just really poured gasoline on that. Ah, <laughs> I see what you did. Um, and now what we're seeing is, uh, you know, some of these other wrenches that tend to happen as well, which is there's a hurricane impending, um, looming over Florida, which could impact some refineries there. And then in the Midwest, there was also a refinery fire that impacted prices here. So we're just kind of seeing all of these, this like cloud of influences just kind of have an impact on it. So it's not necessarily one political party or one policy, um, but a lot of just sort of external pressures that can kind of drive, drive prices up. Everything ultimately becomes political, especially a month or before <laughs> election. So uh, that that's inevitable. Um, one thing too, and because I'm old enough to know, but a traditional recession, there was one pretty bad one in the 80s, is typically you see a confluence of things that are all kind of related. Interest rates are up. So, you know, consumer spending's down, unemployment's up, you know, and people don't have money to buy houses and everything kind of is in lockstep and 
it takes a long time to reverse those trends. But I look at this economy and the things that you've written about too is I heard a stat that said there's 11 million open jobs in America and 6 million workers. So it isn't like people can't find work and wages are going up, uh, not down. Interest rates are going up. How How is this different than what we might be used to and why is it different? Yeah, it's a topsy-turvy one. You're absolutely have your finger on the pulse to say it's a weird one. That's actually the economic term for this recession is weird. <laughs> um, at this point, it, yeah, you're completely correct. There are, you know, two workers for every job and unemployment is low, but people are still spending money and yet inflation's historically high and, and just nothing seems to make sense. Um, some of that is because we're also coming out of this unprecedented global pandemic, right? We always point our finger back to COVID, um, especially you had mentioned at the top, some of the policies that we went through a high, you know, we were stimulated economy, right? And so now people had more in their savings account at the end of last year than, you know, they had since, you know, World War II times. And so we're kind of spending through that money. We're burning through that money. And part of the reason that we're burning through that money is why prices are soaring as well. All of it is kind of interconnected and um so yeah you're right that this is a weird one and that people are economists especially very hesitant to even call it a recession you know some of our typical indicators like low gdp they some economists have turned away from said that's outdated that just doesn't apply for this one because we have so many competing factors you know um, you know, I've heard a recession be kind of this way of either a recession is if the your neighbor loses his job, a depression is when you lose your job. Uh, right now, I'd, I'm not sure that we're even in either category yet, again, because the labor market's so wild. I think, too, um, in speaking with economists, uh, they have said, you know, recession is a big, scary word for many Americans because we all experienced the Great Recession of 2008, and that is very fresh in our memory. But um, this, what we're experiencing now could be more categorized as maybe a lowercase capital or lowercase R recession, um, where, you know, we go through economic downturns every couple of years. Um, so while there's a lot of fears about a recession, especially with the Fed raising interest rates, because we've seen such a bad result from that in our recent past, um, we might not see that. We might just see more of what we've seen in, in the past 20 years, where we just kind of go through an economic downturn for a year, and then we eventually come out of it. Um, so there's a lot of discussion around just how the word recession has a lot of fear attached to it, but we, we kind of tend to go through these every couple of years. Well, and then you're getting into something that's true, which is, you know, mass psychology and uh, the stock market, you know, is, is, is based on moods and feelings. I mean, there are things that happen like the Ukraine war that affect the stock market, but some of it is investor confidence and people calling individuals like me calling your broker and say, move stuff. I'm old, you know, I'm going to retire someday, move my stuff into safer investments. And um, so consumer confidence, but investor confidence. Um, I had a friend recently who said, you know, they were lamenting that they had looked at their 401k and I said, like, why would you, it's like stepping on the scale the day after Thanksgiving. Like, why would you do that? It can't be good, right? So I, I don't even look. Um, but there are people, though, who are at retirement age or who have, like, investment accounts for college students. That's real money that's gone away, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, to your point about don't look at the 401k, I, you know, I interviewed some financial advisors and 
that was by and large the advice, right? Stay the course, be patient, but you're also right on the money, <laughs> pardon the pun, that, you know, it is all about the psychology and it, it's no surprise that all of a sudden these brokers, you know, the, their phone lines are ringing again because people are nervous and, and they have a right to be nervous, especially if they have uh, money in these stocks that are so turbulent right now. But uh, Rose does make a good point that we're in a cycle and we're in a downturn, but it doesn't mean this will be forever, hopefully. I think we're like a little short-sighted out of COVID because it feels like everything is doom and gloom and the world is falling down all the time. Um, so it, it is the long game, but yeah, I mean, definitely there are people that if you look at your 401k, it's scary right now. And if you are nearing retirement, there are reasons to get a little more nervous than, you know, millennials that just started investing that have the, the grace period of compound interest. But um, I don't know, I guess keep reading MLive for updated <laughs> versions on what you should do with your accounts, because we have been interviewing folks uh, pretty regularly about what what's the latest advice, because it does it changes week to week just about. And I think, um, you know, what economists have been saying recently with the most recent consumer price index that came out is we are seeing signs of hope, um, even if it feels like tiny little glimmers. Um, but like food prices are starting to moderate. Housing is a big factor in the inflation, but those price that tends to lag in, in economy reporting. So what we're seeing as a big driver will likely moderate in the incoming months as the federal government catches up. So the message kind of is we're not out of the woods yet, but there is optimism from economists, which is kind of hard to get out of them sometimes because they don't like to make predictions. Um, but they, they, I feel like there are indicators that um, things are starting to change and some of these economic policies are starting to have an impact, even if it feels very sticky and like it's taking longer than the federal government expected. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna stop here for a moment to say, Lindsay, nice plug for MLive. <laughs> and I think you passed the audition to replace me as the, the host of Behind the Headlines. You're getting good at this. <laughs> but one thing it's kind of people have to remember when the stock market was soaring and it was setting records, uh, you got to take a longer view of this. It's going to come back down. It's going to, you know, the, the long term average of the stock market is 8% a year or so. If you're getting 16% returns, you're going to have times like this too. But like I said, the practical part of this is some people need the money and that's where you, you really realize if you can ride it out, it's, it's the for the better. Uh, one thing, uh, I was in a car dealership about a year ago and to take my car in for service and they had the zero cars inside of the showroom. And they had a, like, I think he said three new models on the lot that they were trying to, had been sitting there for a while, some used cars. And they had a couple of problems. One, the demand had outstripped, you know, their ability to supply because COVID had, you know, uh, everyone was shutting down. They didn't want over inventory during COVID. So uh, chips were a problem and all this stuff. So I went back last month and their, their car lot is loaded with cars. <laughs> and the guy's like, yeah, my phone's not ringing, you know, because again, this is like consumer confidence is flipped. And now he has chips and he doesn't have, he doesn't have a lot of buyers. So, you know, when do we think, what do you what are your take on that? Not just cars, but just in general, the supply chain issues and how long is that going to take this sort out? 
a while. <laughs> a while. A while for sure. Cars is a, like a historically good indicator for I mean, a recession indicator, especially used cars. Because it, again, it just goes back to what are you spending, you know, a decent amount of cash on at one time, right? Um, and, and I do think supply chain, I mean, ships is a great example because it affected not only cars, your phones, your technology, like every piece of everything. Um, it's going to, it's going to be a while, especially again, hate to keep pointing the finger back to Russia and Ukraine, but that impacts us more than I think we thought it would at the beginning. Um, not to mention, I mean, COVID is a much bigger problem in China and we all know how much we get from China as well. And so if there's one takeaway, I think I've gotten from the last couple of years of being an economy reporter is how interconnected we are both supply chain wise and back to your point about, you know, psychology, that it's not just you that's freaking out about your finances it's you know the whole country and then you know fe the federal reserve taps into that and looks at that consumer sentiment and then they adjust because the country thinks inflation is going to stay high for a long time and so we are kind of all moving as one one unit and so things will take a long time to all get back up to speed is the very long and unsatisfying answer <laughs> to your supply chain question we, we really shoot for short, satisfying answers behind the headlines. So get a little more pithy than that. Uh, you, you say we're all in this together. Yes, to a degree. But you've also done some reporting on the generational differences. And why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because you, you had reported on this before. I mean, separate from when the economy really started to tank. But it really gets exacerbated during a period like this, right? Yeah. And, you know, I'll come out and say, we are millennials. I have a chip on my shoulder. And that's what's <laughs> driving this reporting. I thought chips were in short supply. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I have them in full stock. Not, so. not among this generation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think generational wealth, I mean, I'm, I'm gunning for this to be my own beat. Um, I think it's really interesting, honestly, mm -hmm. for millennials, especially is something interesting, not just because I am one, but because now we have surpassed boomers as the largest generation in numbers. And we're also at this prime um, home buying age, which is where this really started, this idea that millennials can get in on these historically low interest rates, right, in 2020. Um, but then things have flipped on them, right? Then prices got crazy high. Now interest rates are high again, and they're boxed right back out of the market. Um, and so what could have been like some gaining strides they kind of got chopped down at the knees again. And I say again, because, you know, Rose just alluded to the 08 recession, which is when millennials are first entering the job market. And so it's really been an uphill battle. And so when you start looking at data, comparing millennials to Gen X to boomers, um, we're just lagging behind. Um, and maybe that goes back to why people seem to see us as these forever teenagers, the avocado toast millennials. They don't think that we're mm -hmm. growing up, even though now we are into the age that, you know, the oldest millennial is 40. So they have kids in a home. Um, and so it's been interesting that they just can't seem to be saving the way that boomers were saving and they can't be buying houses and doing these other milestones in the same way. Um, and I do think it's going to have, you know, kind of a, a larger impact down the road. And I'm very interested to see what Gen Z does to pick up the pieces. <laughs> I think every generation looks in their rearview mirror and says, well, they'll clean up the mess. Good luck to them. <laughs> uh, I think you're right. I think there's some stereotypes, avocado toast, $6 lattes every morning, like, you know, uh, they just need to buckle down. But the fact is, you know, w wages are not keeping up with the consumer prices with the, the cost of living, the cost of groceries, buying a house. And I really don't feel like, and I think it's proven in st statistically, 
that Gen Z and millennials have the same buying power and same buying opportunities. I mean, it's almost like you need a social uh, psychology shift in what America, what the American promise is for people, because you can't actually afford it. When you just oh, get my, my new party trick is just having the uh, Bureau of Statistics inflation calculator out to ask your parents what they were making at this year and then or put in your current salary and see what they made when they were 30 years old. And it'll really blow your mind what the current salary would have been in 1980s dollars or 1970s dollars. Well, that makes it relatable, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe you should put that calculator in every story if you're not already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's hyperlinked, but I, I'm. I like to share it. I like to share the information. And I think the like other factor, sort of complicating things generationally, is also student loans, which I've done some reporting on as well. Um, there's 1.5 million student loan borrowers in Michigan holding an average of $36,000 in debt, um, and that with high interest rates just compounds. Um, so a lot of those borrowers saw relief for the past two years with the pause on payments and interest rates, but that's set to start up again in January. Um, and so there is a promised $10,000 forgiveness, but for a lot of these borrowers, that's not going to knock down their balance to zero. So they're going to have to start payments again in January in this high inflationary period um, where we're, we're all facing higher grocery bills, higher rent, you know, all of these things and wages that aren't keeping up with these things. Um, and so not all those borrowers are millennials or Gen Zs, but the majority are um, just with the rising cost of college sort of hitting people right at 2008 when a lot of funding was cut for colleges um, and it became a lot more expensive. So I think that's the other sort of generational factor um, that plays into this as well as you, you can't really take out a mortgage when you've got $30,000, $40,000 in student debt. Yeah. And somebody, uh, there was, a, I saw today a lawsuit filed against Biden's plan uh, to, for student loan forgiveness. So there's going to be politics no matter what uh, around this stuff. Okay, we're getting near the end. So I just want to ask you each individually, Rose, you can go first. What What's next uh, that you're looking into? What stories uh, are we going to be seeing coming from you? Yeah, um, I my next one is uh, actually talking about the stock market and what you should do with your investments uh, if you're feeling a little bit scared. Um, the uh, preview is just kind of stay disciplined. <laughs> so talking about that and then also kind of talking about how the economy has impacted just one sector of our uh, industry, which is, or of the economy, which is um, the trucking industry, which has played a, a major role in supply chain, but also a lot of those independent drivers have faced a lot of challenges with high fuel prices um, and just sort of the fluctuating rates over the past few years. It's both very interesting. I look forward to those. Uh, and Lindsay? Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in, I'm glad that you talked about the generational differences, both in home ownership, which is looking at Gen Z data right now, but also interested in looking at exactly as you pointed out, uh, what wages look like and how that's different for different generations and um, even bigger picture, how these upcoming generations are going to fill in the, the workforce gap that the boomers are leaving. We, we saw mass retirements in COVID. We are also just getting that boomers are getting to the age that they are retiring. Um, who's going to take these jobs? As I mentioned before, we already have, you know, two workers per every job. So, you know, what, what does that look like workforce wise? Well, I got to say, um, I'd rather have you guys working on these kind of stories than COVID stories. I was I'm kind of all over COVID, although COVID's not over us. 
But uh, these are challenging topics and a challenging time. And I appreciate the work that you're putting in to keep our readers informed. And thank you again for joining us on Behind the Headlines today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. And there they go. Huge thanks to Lindsay and Rose for joining us. As always, if you like what John and I are doing, like, comment, subscribe, and share wherever you get your podcast. Till next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Hulkerin, and this is Behind the Headlines. <laughs>